0: You might have seen many people who would like to be, say, millionaires or billionaires in their life. But have you met somebody who said, I would like to create billions of impact millionaires, which means creating an ecosystem, creating a world where anybody who is willing to create an impact can build a business. And that's what our guest on the show today, Pratik Gauri, founder and CEO of FIRE, had to say. He is known for his fifth industrial revolution. You wonder what it is? That is exactly what we're going to discuss on the show. Hi, my name is Aditi Surana. I'm a behavioral analyst, a high performance coach and founder of India's only mental gym called apt. Our guest Pratik is a serial entrepreneur. He founded eight companies prior to founding fire. And you can only imagine how one person can become instrumental for new ideas, new revolutionary ideas, I must say, To come true and become more accessible in today's conversation we dive deep and talk about multiple things about business about what he does to solve problems and his specific advice but along with that as always i'm going to do two segments on the show one is called the stroke of graphology and another is called coach the coach so get your notepad ready while i analyze prateek's handwriting you might discover something interesting about yourself so without further ado, let's get started with this conversation and let's see what Prateek has to say. Hi Prateek, welcome to Absolutely Right.
1: Hi, hi. thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure being with you.
0: So many times when we talk about high performers, we talk about the journey and the achievements that they have. But I want to begin with the fact that you started when you were just 16. That was your first venture. Why would you do that? Like, why would you just not enjoy your teenage life and do everything that other people did?
1: So um, so it takes me back in time. I Basically, I'll narrate an incident what happened with me. So my I came from a humble background and i i wanted to do something big in life of course i think everybody wants to do it um so my my mom actually you know she took me to a mall so if you go to a shopping mall i went like she. and if, the way it is structured on the ground floor you find that you know all the high-end stores are there if you go to the first floor and the second and then the third is food court so she took me to the second floor and said you know shop whatever you want from the second floor i looked down and i said, no i want to shop from the ground floor and she said no no no, that's reserved for ambani's kids so i think that incident stuck in my head and i came back and i figured out that if you see the economic pyramid yeah. if the bottom billion then there are mostly people who basically come from lineage rich families wealthy families and then the, uh, if you see the Top hundred or thousand are mostly self-made entrepreneurs wow. so i think that basically gave me the kick that if you want to jump the ladder then entrepreneurship is the thing because all those hundred are entrepreneurs nobody's um, employed or um, all of them are have done something to build a, a startup or a company and you crack so that code at 15. I cracked that code at 15 that that was basically a a, a trigger Trigger, uh, to say uh, it's going to be entrepreneurship if you want to do something big in life and if you want to basically solve a problem I always wanted to solve problems Mm -hmm. then the second was uh, to make that happen because if you want to reach that it can't happen in three years or five years it's going to take you a lifetime like it's going to take years to build legacy so then I figured out that it's impossible to sustain long working hours or just keep at it and a lot of perseverance and hard work until it's your passion Mm -hmm. so the second point was discovering your passion Mm -hmm. so you know I figured out again like I love solving social problems Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, back then there was one problem that I figured out that most of the kids, which came from very wealthy families, who were around me, they did not—they were a little lazy and they did not want to. Uh, solve spend that for
0: themselves.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I thought, let me solve it for them and make some money. So that's how I started my first edutech company. So help people
0: do the essay writing.
1: Not just essay, basically, yeah, essay was just one component, making sure that they get admitted to schools in the U.S., in Europe, in, okay. in other parts of the world, and they can go from India and study across the world. So This,
0: this blows my mind. I know your other achievements are really interesting, and you we've know, done a lot, but this one, at 16, when most people do not know how to do one application for themselves and get through a university, you are here, like, wait, 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 I will do it for all of you. Not only that, I'll crack the code, I'll hire people. Did you hire people that time already?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a small team of 35 people that we had. Um, 35 is not small. Hello. Yeah, I mean, 35. For that people- age, it's not small. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was basically it's kind of like so. Always believed in building families rather than you know. So it, it automatically happens if you're doing something which is uh, uh, you know which is pa- if you're passionate about it. People can see through it. Yep. So it's very easy to see through if somebody's in it just for money or somebody's in it for passion. Mm-hmm. And I think you to, to be honest, I personally feel if you see all the uh, if you see all the hundred top entrepreneurs in the world, they've been able to make it because it was their passion. It can't mm-hmm. be you can't keep at one uh, you know gig for. I mean, people really? find it hard. To, I mean, uh, people find it hard to uh, sustain a marriage. Uh, yes. I mean, with one husband or one wife for thirty-five mm-hmm. years, and you're talking about just doing one venture. For 35 years, like building Amazon and building Google uh, and, and keep doing it for 35 years, same thing again and again, innovating. So it can't happen unless you're really passionate about it. So you know,
0: thanks for saying this because so many times my team looks at me and they're like, why can't you just slow it down? Why do you have to start one project after another project and try this angle and that angle? But I think that's the that's a curse and the, the magic and benefit of being passionate about what you do. You just do not want to stop. It's not that you cannot stop, you don't want to stop. I, I hear you. So but I think it's you like-,
1: cricket is like playing soccer. Like, you know, if, if somebody likes to play, I mean, back in those days, right? I used to love playing, say, cricket or playing soccer. So it's similar to like the current uh, company I'm running. It's similar to me playing soccer 20 hours a day. Yep. So there's no difference. So and I think it's the same with you. Um, you know, because I mean I spoke to you last night and you're up 10 in the morning. It shows that you wouldn't do, nobody would do all of this just for money. It's impossible to, I mean, you can do it for 10 days, one year, three years, but nobody can sustain it for a period of time. So I think passion is very important in entrepreneurship. That's what I've always felt.
0: So I have your handwriting sample in front of me. And for our listeners, we asked Pratik to write a paragraph on an unruled sheet of paper along with his signatures. The first thing that comes to my mind is when you end your words, like, you know, there's a word back or you wrote more. When you end your words, the last letters get extended, like they get stretched, you know, the K has a tail like that or E has a tail like that. Now, that particular stroke, I want to explore and talk about. So every single time you get done with a project or people clap and they say, oh my God, the results were great or whatever, like it, it didn't work, whatever. For them, it's a complete full stop. For you, it's never a full stop. Anything that goes right or wrong, you absolutely take on it and you keep analyzing, overanalyzing, figuring out the, the, the true parts and the great parts and the good parts and the horrible parts. And you have to create a formula underneath for you to run and, and leap and, and just move to the next thing. But if you don't crack the code, if you don't have that formula, it becomes really difficult for you to put a closure to any horrible or great experience.
1: Yes. Yes, that is so true. I think uh, I think that is so so true, and uh, you're amazing at all of this. So it just blows my mind on how you kind of decode this because I think I have. Uh, I mean, of course, I mean, it, it, I can't ever think of doing something like this. So I think it's, but but that's my yeah, decoding
0: see, the formula. You see, that's how I think about it.
1: Yeah, but it's actually very true because um, I think you can also like this could be synonymous to like what you said is is like basically building the initial pieces of the, like solving the initial pieces of the puzzle and then going to a point where you think that it is sustainable um, financially and, and in every way sustainable so that the team can then take it from, so like what I've always done in all my ventures has been like point A to point B, where like zero to one is the hardest, yeah. but one to 100 takes a team to do it. So right. you, so zero to one is like cracking the code mm-hmm. and and one to 100 is basically amplifying the code to make sure that it works. Yep. So I think zero to one is an entrepreneur's job and one to 100 is then about leading and then it's about leadership. So I think okay. it goes from becoming just an entrepreneur and solving a problem and decoding the um, solution. But once you've done that, then after that, it's all about mobilizing the team to action to make sure that the solution is uh, actually executed. So I think you actually are right.
0: In today's conversation, we're going to use the word sustainability a lot more. I want to first begin with how do you define sustainability? What does that mean to you?
1: Yeah, so sustainability, I think it's, first of all, it's not just limited to climate. So let's just be uh, clear about it. Exactly. Uh, climate is one, one, just one piece of the whole puzzle. It's, I think, think of it as synonymous to the United Nations 17 global goals of sustainable development. Mm-hmm. So what the UN has done, it's given us a matrix mm-hmm. um, uh, where there are 17 United Nations goals. And if you basically achieve those goals, then they say you are on the path to sustainability. Now, what those goals are? So like, for instance, SDG 3 stands for um, health. Mm-hmm. SDG 4 stands for uh, quality education. Mm-hmm. SDG 5 stands for um, gender equality. SDG 6 stands for uh, clean water and sanitation. SDG 13 stands for climate or, or you can say renewables. All of, all of it. so mm-hmm. basically and and they've basically done a very good job at basically simplifying this very complex uh, matrix. Mm-hmm. So it's a very simple metric that comes out of 17 goals. Mm-hmm. and if you basically achieve all those 17, then you are on the path to sustainability or you're close to being sustainable. So whenever I use the word sustainable, I, I basically say that you're doing all those 17 or you're expediting progress towards. So there are obviously metrics in all those 17, there are metrics. So for instance, you can say life for gender equality, you'll say you'll move, you'll be gender equality will happen when you're 50% women, 50% men in your organization. Right. So there are metrics. So, but you, if you are say right now at 5% generation, you're moving to 20%. That's like a part towards achieving it. So, and it will take years, like it can't happen overnight. So they've done, so They basically said that we're going to try and uh, accomplish all of that by 2030. And, um. All the member states, including India and according, including countries across the world, have actually signed that mandate. So mm. countries are now actually trying to move towards uh, achieving the um, UN SDGs. And we as entrepreneurs, I think, are going to be um, the, the biggest pieces in, in making like sure there. that happens. Yeah.
0: So how does it impact your role as a leader, business owner, and an entrepreneur? Like you always try to align every business that you're part of in this manner and like, for example, walk away from things that do not fit into your bill?
1: Yeah, I've always done it, um, and I think um, it used to be uh, tougher uh, uh, earlier than it is now. Because I think after COVID, sustainability has actually become a thing, um, yep. and people talk about it. Yep. But uh, in like, let's if I if I you know go back in time and I started promoting it, so I you know my first TED talk was TEDx talk was also about the fifth industrial revolution. It was long back. Mm-hmm. So when I started speaking about saying that sustainability is going to define profitability, or if you basically do any venture which is in a way aligned to those 17 goals, it's actually going to end up making you more money also. So it's because because in the end, people. So look, any venture, any technology, anything that you run, actually the success or the failure of it is decided by the people, correct? Like mm-hmm. your, your end and consumers or end users. It could be B2B or B2C. Right. But if you talk about B2B or B2C clients that any uh, company ha- has, I figured out when I was 16 or 17 that in the years to come, the trend is going to be that consumers are going to be more conscious about health, which means like one of the SDGs. Consumers are going to start becoming more conscious about um, using electric vehicles. Consumers are going to become more right. conscious about gender equality. And when they become conscious as business owners, if you don't give what consumers want, you're anyways going to fail. So... That's why all my ventures, like I founded eight of them. This is my ninth. So all yeah. of them happen in the space of fifth industrial revolution or around the UN Sustainable Development Goals. So fifth industrial revolution is also a concept that I started promoting, um, you know, about a decade back to say that you can actually make more money if you do more good to the world. Um, so it's again linked to the same piece. Oh, nice! It's
0: so hopeful. I'm so happy that you're, uh, you know, the poster boy talking about it because that's exactly is like the, the tenet in which I think so many times that every single choice that you make, every single leadership decision that you make, you're impacting not only that one person, the entire family, and the ecosystem around it. So it's extremely important for us to keep that in mind. Now I have another stroke in your writing that I must speak about, when you write your lowercase letter M and N, they're very pointed, talking about your observational skill. Like every single thing that you come across and I'm connecting to the analysis that we just uh, spoke and and kind of connected with. Now this analysis comes from this 24 by 7. I can't say fully 24 by 7, but like lifelong. Every single awake moment that you spend in observing things and gaps. You love doing that. Even if you are on a break, which I don't know whether you are, but wherever you are, are, if you're traveling, if you're talking to people, if you are waiting in a queue, you keep collecting data and and not only observing things, it's also analyzing and putting them into different boxes that you have created for yourself or analysis or models or frameworks that you have believed in or you have crafted. That's the game that you love to play.
1: I think you you have a superpower, and I think. <laughs> the person- but but actually, you're absolutely right again. So uh, so if you see all the startups that I've ran have been not like so the so a lot of people you know also say how do you get ideas right? And I think you just rightly mentioned like if you have good observational skills, you'll automatically get ideas. And the ideas are nothing but the ideas are nothing but gaps. So if you see the current business I'm running, it's mm-hmm. it's just a big gap which I figured out that sustainable like blockchains currently or the whole web three space is not sustainable. Mm-hmm. How do you get sustainable? Was a gap that I filled with this company. EduTech mentioned venture, the first one I told you was uh, rich rich kids don't are yes. no yes. and then I filled that gap and that was a, just an observation that I, I I had when when those kids were around me. And mm-hmm. I saw that they all want to say party in the evening and not study. And I was like, this is a big gap that I can fill, and that's ah that could easily make money. So I think you're absolutely right. I, um, I think I I still do it all the time. Like even if I'm going to a restaurant, like I was just in Goa, mm-hmm. I basically the whole time rather than just eating food, I was chatting with the owner and asking him how profitable your business is, <laughs> how your business, you know, and what kind of clientele you're getting, and, and how can you amplify it. And not just because I wanted to open a restaurant there, but it was just because I love solving a problem. And if I find a gap, then I think it's very easy to plug that gap using a venture. So I think that's the that's the way I live my life, and uh, I just love solving problems. So I think you decoded it again very correctly. That- <laughs> I do it every time even in my personal life I would do it even in my professional life I would do this because I think it's fun so yep. But I didn't know that you can figure out on the handwriting. I think. Oh,
0: I I just give you like two points right now. This we have yeah. around eight hundred permutation and combinations. It's crazy and how poetic and how mathematical this whole study is. It's unbelievable. And when I coach people, I meet them every fifteen days, and I take in their handwriting samples every two weeks. And instead of they telling me what happens, I tell them, okay, I think these are the three things you got triggered on, and these are the two things that you're struggling with, because it is all math. Once you find the code, you just kind of keep you know knowing the the anomaly, and you just keep working on it. Don't get me started. I won't stop. <laughs> I, think I,
1: should, I think I should I should connect you to uh, you know they're my friends, like founders of uh, matrimony and dating apps. I think. You, they should have Putting handwritings on their profile, so that you can already tell them that this is a match. This is not a match. I think this if is we if
0: we crack the code and technology for that, yes, we can. But I think I'm so passionate about working with people for their personal transformation. So all other things which are only evaluative, I have stayed away from it because imagine working with a leader and identifying that gap and help them bridge the gap. So that this is where yeah. the coaching comes into play, right? So the very moment you start working on bridging the gap, you have an updated version of the same leader with that skill set and a new mindset. So but that, that just like
1: So in a way through, by coaching or in a way through, by just making that, uh, fixing that gap, you can ultimately, you are impacting millions or billions of lives. That's the idea. That's That's the idea. I love
0: that. I love that. On today's stroke of graphology, I would like to talk about this one formation that is called the long lower loops in your letter Y, G or J. Now let's take only Y as an example. You know, the neck part of Y where you form that little U formation can be considered as a unit size. If the length of the loop that you form below that, if it is 2 to 2.5 times, it is considered an average Y loop. If it is shorter than that, then it is considered as a short Y loop or short lower zone. If it is much longer than that, then you call it an extended or exaggerated lower loop. Now these lower loops talk a lot about your sexual drive, your physical capacity to get things done, your execution ability and your materialistic imagination. Now imagine all these important things which are mostly related to money or sexual desires, all of them are found in this one single stroke. If these strokes are short, then the person is not that interested or keen to know deep about all these topics however if the stroke is elongated then that means the person's interest in all of these areas is extremely keen he or she may go out of their way to explore more possibilities and also get to know what other options are available now the very moment i say that people wonder are you saying this person will seek more sexual partners or cheat on their spouses not always it depends on that formation combined with other integrity-related traits. But definitely this person would have more curiosity to explore different ideas. When it comes to buying a car, they won't buy a typical car which is practical and everybody would like it. They would buy something that stands out or something that they believe they deserve or they believe they would like to explore. Now, thereby, every choice that we make is dependent on choices that we make or the person that we are or the mental framework we operate from i hope this helps let's get back to our conversation with prateek and learn some more things from him so what do you prateek what questions you have for me
1: so i think there are um, there are a few questions um, so so i'll tell you like a one thing which is happening currently with with us currently so um, I call it, so the current company I run is called fire again, fifth industrial revolution. So we, what we did was we just, um, in 11 months, we became a unicorn now. Wow. Now, so, thanks. So we've moved very, very quickly. Um, and I, as I said, like, I'm not like every day, there is a new advancement that happens where there are new. So now we are a team of about 110 and, um, like in 11 months. And I, I think it could be like 206 months. So as we grow, as a, 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 you know, it's so, so quickly, then I basically want to ask you, like, as you grow from a startup phase, right, so we were a startup, I think we are still a startup, but I would say, call us a growth startup now, Mm. where, um, as I think I mentioned, right, so zero to one, and then it's one to hundred, and then it's hundred, so I basically count any company in three phases, so it's Mm -hmm. 1.0, 2.0, and 3.0. Mm-hmm. 1.0 is when you basically crack the code, mm-hmm. saying this model works, there are use cases. So the technology is built, use cases are happening. People are ready to pay for it, which means right. you reach the first stage, which is zero to one, that the product is working. Everybody loves your product. Right. Then it's about making that product go around the world so that it can benefit lives of people. And that basically means hiring teams, like large teams, making them also, you know, believe in the vision and the mission and then making them so it's like basically replicating thousand pratiques for me like in the company yep uh, so how do you uh, is there a difference in leadership styles according to you or you basically operate in the same way like for instance we were working in a very unorganized life do we really need an organized structure or do we keep going with it
0: so that i think that decision more than leadership is about what do you want to achieve and how do you want to replicate because uh, many leaders have told me that the desire to replicate themselves is really, really strong. But after, some, after a period of time, they realize that is an impossible task to achieve. So instead of having a team that is cloning you and your leadership style, culture becomes rich when you have people who start compensating and who have their own unique styles that they bring to the table. So in an unorganized setup, it becomes easier for you to kind of have, you know, one person leading the way. But now that you're going to give leadership decision in other people's hands, they might not follow the same system. And I feel one thing when I look at your writing, it's extremely difficult for you to just cope up with people who do not follow a system created that is in a way foolproof because you have thought through and you've come up with so many permutation combinations. You know, by the time I say this, this will work. But what will be difficult, and I'm sure it is difficult already, is to be patient with people while they make the same mistakes that they could have avoided by u- using the solution that is already there. But that's going to be, like the, I think, the part of running newer teams. where they will make mistakes, and you will have to back them up without without letting them feel that, oh, that's not the way to do. Because that's the culture. If you tomorrow really genuinely wish that they take over, and run the business and you kind of get to other parts of your business or like bring some new project on, then you will have to let them function. And that slower speed is what gets to you as a leader or as a person. So I would say keep away or create a system to find how will you build your patients there or are there like three stages in which you're going to give them first stage you kind of do this, second stage you reach there and third stage but it, because they won't function or move at the pace and speed you do
1: okay got it so then uh, so then it's going to it's going to be i think it's again coming back to the point that patience is key here and I'll have to be more patient, but I completely agree because obviously it's uh, everybody has different leadership styles and actually that is good for um, building a big brand. So I think I really like it. Um. So another question that I have is, so I think you already, uh, you know, some gave some pieces in the, in this one, in this uh, answer as well, but um, so you work with a lot of people. and I think this is a very cliched question, by the way, but it's actually happens to everybody. Like, uh, initially, you basically want to have a perfect product. Yeah. Um, so because it, look, if you are basically building a new version of say Coca Cola, right, mm-hmm. and you're going to compete with a big brand. Yeah. Um, it's not in our case, we, are, we, we basically come up with something which nobody's built. So it's Mm -hmm. still easier, but think of somebody who's basically cloning a company, but then doing some innovative piece, like Mm -hmm. um, think of of Ola, right? Mm -hmm. What did Ola do different? Like basically it was cash on, like you could pay cash, right? That was the biggest piece they, you know, that was the biggest innovative piece in when bringing, when they, when they try to compete with Uber in India, right? when you're doing that kind of a model a lot of times you want to get it right initially and that zero to one journey again i repeat is about perfection if you're not perfect nobody's going to actually start using your product because say if you're using a certain kind of brand today and i want to make you move from that brand that's a lot of inertia right and i think that would only move initially that involves a lot of perfection mm-hmm. but do you think as we go like right now we've already done the zero to one that's mm-hmm. done now we're going from 1 to 100 um, in the growth phase. So do you think we, sh- I like, should we still concentrate on perfection or should we let go of perfection in some way to meet timeline? Like I'll just give you a small example. If I'm executing a project with, say, government, uh, currently we are doing a lot of projects with governments, right? Mm. To bring them on the blockchain and to bring them on Web3. We've basically dis- re- dis- reinvented the internet. Think of it right. that way. Right. Now, as we basically reinvented the internet, people are going to start using the internet. We're initially targeting B2B players, then it's going to happen B2C. So B2B, like you see, governments, now there's a lot of inertia involved initially because it's a new thing, right? Of now, when we basically get them to start using a product and then they start using it, correct? I'm going to Once- pause you
0: here for our listeners, just explain what Web3 is in case someone is not aware of it.
1: So Web 3 is basically, you know, um, is about uh, decentralization. So Mm -hmm. Web 2 is, so Web 1 was internet. Web 2 was social media. Mm -hmm. Um, So Web 1 was pretty much something that was curated by Google, for instance, where you basically got a medium uh, Mm -hmm. to to interact. Mm -hmm. Web 2 was basically a uh, place where you could interact because it was basically read and write both. Web 1 was just read. So Web 1 was people uh, giving the, you
0: information web yeah. 2 was there you also became a part of creating that information and it became
1: both ways correct and web 3 is about decentralization which is about read write and own so you also own your information in mm-hmm. web 2 you don't own your information correct so in mm-hmm. social media you don't you don't uh, you don't own the information right now you're recording this on cloud so we don't own this yep. so so in web three, it's about decentralization, which is about giving the power power back to the community. Mm-hmm. And in the end, it's going to help attain financial inclusion for about say one and a half billion people who've been left out of banking and who don't have access to credit. So it's basically a technology, the most advanced technology that the world has ever seen, yep. which is going to actually help achieve all the social problems that the world has using uh, decentralization, using the power of read, write, and own, and everybody's going to own their data. Um, right. Okay, back to your question. Now we are basically uh, trying to be, so what Google did in web one or what Facebook did in web two, we are doing similar stuff in web three. So think Mm -hmm. of us that way. Mm -hmm. We're basically trying to curate a web three space, Mm -hmm. which is not only more abundant, but also more green. So now Mm -hmm. as we do that, there's initially, when you go from zero to one, uh, we faced a lot of inertia from players to actually join the bandwagon. And the reason was simple. They knew the technology is great. But i mean look it's about my mom also right my mom never wanted to use facebook but once she started using facebook now she's uh, happy with <laughs> it. yeah yeah so same with us right nobody wanted to use facebook or instagram back in 2010 but everybody's now on instagram and facebook so with web3 Web it's the same so we basically faced inertia and we've done it so but but to do that to make it happen we now work with a lot of governments and they are all using web3 now and they're happy but there, there is a point in our journey. The reason I'm asking this question is from zero to one, we did focus on perfection because we wanted mm-hmm. to make sure that they understand the whole space. Even if the timelines are going haywire, we, we, um, uh, we thought it's okay if we wanted to say execute the project in one month. We said, no problem. We'll do it in two months. Mm-hmm. But we want to crack the code and make it right. But now as you scale, as you go from cracking the code to scaling, as we say, now we'll work with say 50 governments across the world, mm-hmm. example, like in three years. So do we compromise on perfection or or do we compromise on timelines? Like
0: this question is also faced by anybody who is just starting something for the first time. Like the first mover's disadvantage is you have to walk with everybody's learning curve. I think the second player would already have you done the work and then they can just walk into that space. But if you're doing it and if you want to have more and more impact or be the first player in all these 50 places, then I think no matter how you look at it, you will have to be perfectionist, not perfectionist, like make sure that you deliver on what you are set out for, mainly because that's the challenge. There's no other way around it. If you say this is my timeline, you take it or leave it, mostly people will leave it. And mainly because you're in a business like that. You're a first mover. In every first mover has to do that extra you know, legwork to just get the person on board. So I believe that's going to be the space that you're going to walk into
1: okay so then uh, i think you're right i think we are first movers and i think when we go to other countries we'll still be first movers so i think we will have to make sure that we work at the we have to be perfect
0: and i, I know as, as a coach what i would like to bring here is you love solving problems but you do not love to solve the same problems over and over again no so this is where the challenge is. So now to replicate the model in different countries or different governments, you will have to solve the same problem for them. And for you, you're like, okay, let's get done with it. Let's just let's move on to the next thing. That might happen. So why am I bringing this to your attention? Because your impatience as a leader shouldn't impact the project that you are committed to. Because you and I are serving the impact and not only doing the business because we like to.
1: Yeah, no, no, yeah. That's why I've. That's all the. That's the. That's why we keep. That's why we need teams, right? That's why I have a large team, who's kind of definitely more patient than I am, and I'm learning. (laughs) So they're very patient, of course, because um, you have to be when you're working with somebody who doesn't understand the pace. So first piece is to basically educate them, and then it's to empower them, correct? So um, to to so we're doing it in different countries, and I think you're right. So. Another question that, uh, that you often face, I think, uh, that everybody faces, I think, is, is between being emotional as a leader and being practical as a leader. Um, and where, when I say this, it mostly comes into when you're evaluating decisions on salary hikes or mm-hmm. any any kind of that decision where definitely you know that this person is amazing, but they have mm-hmm. not performed according to what we thought they'll perform on the on the sheet, like let's just say an Excel, which clearly says, Oh, you were set out to achieve A and you just achieved 70% of your target. Hmm. But then you know that the person is good. So then you take where which decision do you take? You be emotional or you just stay practical?
0: So it's never, it's never either in any leadership decision, it's never either. If it if you even try to make it either, I think you take away the human from the math or math from the human. So you want people to do the work that is needed, but also make sure that they are in that mind space to do more of it. Now, I always feel systems and clarity is where people start taking ownership of their own performance. So I was talking to one of the leaders uh, who created this entire backend for TCS. And you can imagine like how complex that whole mechanism would have been because so many people working. So what they did is their, every person's goal was defined or productivity or whatever targets that they had was defined in a way that they kept evaluating it for themselves so by the time they reached the decision of final evaluation it was not one person's decision it was based on what was being achieved or whatever criteria they said they were practical as well as like emotional criteria but it is i think a systems problem that you're talking i'm also answering it in this manner because as you grow you will also have to build these systems because people are people. They You cannot lose great people for one mistake. You might be that harsh on yourself, but they require more, more chances to figure no, no, this yeah.
1: out. Can you figure this? And can you basically also see this from handwriting also? If the person is... And can you basically figure out, say... If somebody's if somebody's more emotional, somebody's more practical, is there a way to figure out that also from inviting?
0: Absolutely. That's that's behavioral analysis. So this is where exactly all the things that I'm talking about you. I'm I'm every time deep dipping into the, the strokes that I see, seeing your, how you look at the problem, how would you evaluate an emotional problem? Because for example, every problem that you have come across, you apply logic to it. Even if it is an emotional problem, even if it is like dealing with something really, really personal, you're like, wait, framework, let me get on the whiteboard. Let me just like do whatever, like mind mapping there to get my clarity before I talk to the other person, right? So... A person who thinks like that, for him, dealing with an emotional situation is really complex and just giving people a chance only because they're nice people. They're like, yeah, nice, great, but we got to all deliver, right? So that's how you first think. So for you to build the empathy is crucial. But empathy is never without result. Mostly, people think empathy is saying, "Oh my God, you had a problem." No, no, no. Empathy is believing in the other person's ability to deliver, and thereby yeah. working towards it with that
1: person. Hmm. I like it. Okay, this is this is <laughs> this. I really like how you decode everything from the handwriting, and then you, uh, you know. Do like merge the dots that this is how you can do it. But this is great. Like the concepts that I've basically tried to promote, if you see, they've been very futuristic. It's like saying, we're going to explore life on Mars. Yeah. So so sustainability is going to define profitability as a concept. Back Like 10 years back, nobody believed in it. So you, you basically, you, it takes a lot to actually just make people or your just team or your parents or relatives to believe in the idea you're promoting, leave aside the profitability piece comes later. So I think the biggest challenge, because, and then if it's a normal model, like a normal business, I would not run it because it just doesn't give me the kick. So the reason I run businesses is because I need a kick every morning and say, oh, I'm doing something which is innovative and it can change the way the whole world works. Like the current Mm -hmm. business I'm running, if it, once we actually execute in three years, it's going, it can make lives of a billion people completely change. So that's the kind of models I've always loved to crack. So in that, I think the biggest challenge I've faced personally as a person has always been to convince my surroundings first. So the one degree network, then the second degree network of extended family, then the third degree network of people who I had actually walking with me and then and the next and the next. And I think as you basically, if you can create this whole thing, then you obviously succeed. That's how I've always believed in building. So, and I think this, I will continue to face, we will continue to face as a company and me as a person in all my life. And the reason I say this is because every time in six months when I think I've cracked the code, I want to innovate more. And that's how you stay ahead of the curve. Yeah. Uh, I mean, otherwise I wouldn't enjoy it. So right now I've basically decoded the things that we can actually have a blockchain which is sustainable. So we've built the world's first mathematical model, huh? Like an um, algorithm which basically not only measures sustainability but rewards it financially. So if you are using geothermal and I'm using coal, then you get you get to make more money. It's the new internet that we've wow. created. So we've created a new internet anybody who uses my uh, our internet now like and it will be used across the world so imagine mm-hmm. 7 billion people on the internet yeah but the but the difference being you own your data that speed is faster there is very less cost of transacting and the more important piece is whoever runs a sustainable node or a business mm-hmm. ends up making more money so you basically taking 7 billion people to a mm-hmm. place in 10 years which is a more abundant world and a more sustainable world at the same time. Mm -hmm. So that's why we call it the fifth industrial revolution, where I'm trying to transition the world from a for-profit economy to a for-benefit economy. And the overarching goal I've had in my life is to impact a billion people. So when you ask my personal challenge, it's been... As you have lofty goals mm. from for profit to for benefit, which is of course, it was very lofty. Now, it's still now people still think, Oh, we're going to achieve it because mm. uh, you know,
0: they can find, uh, find see the, the bridge there, they can see the yes, ladder. Yes, but initially, yeah.
1: when I started promoting it, you can't even imagine how, how hard it was for me I to see. even launch the idea, mm. uh, and then take it to even 10 people. It is, mm. it was hard right now. It's very easy for me, like any place I go to, like any investor I speak to. They want to invest. So it's become that. But it's Mm -hmm. now a pull rather than a push. But initially, it was a push because it was a new idea. And nobody Mm -hmm. thought that this could be cracked. So, and I'm going to do this all my life. Like right now, Mm -hmm. I'm doing this. But after three years, you might find me, um, you know, within this company, like within FIRE, I'll probably start a new division, which will actually you know, solve a problem which nobody's ever solved before because I love solving problems. Now it will be mostly Web3 space. Imagine you're building the next internet. So there will be problems, correct? Like, and Mm -hmm. I'll be solving those problems. So how, I mean, I want to ask from you. I have definitely, I have a way of convincing people to start believing in an idea which which nobody's done before. So I think that's been my personal challenge, if you see. And I think every time I do this, overcoming this challenge because i have to overcome this every three to six months because there's a new thing that we i end up coming up with and then first i have to convince myself then i have to convince (laughs) my parents then i have to convince my team then i have to make sure that it goes out then i have to convince investors and then i have to convince people to adopt it so it's basically a lot of convincing to make sure the idea works
0: so you have taken up a role of like being a Walt Disney in the world where nobody knew Mickey Mouse. So this is going to be a journey. You're going to create new characters and people, you will make sure that they fall in love with it. So I think that's not a challenge. That's who you are. And I think we are very, very happy to know that somebody is pushing the boundaries in a way that no one else ever has. So that's going to be the person so I think
1: the challenge will basically is to con i think to make people believe but i think then i've always felt that if you believe in yourself and if then it takes a lot of perseverance of course you have to believe yourself then but not like today you say oh i'm going to do this and everybody's going to be like wow they're not going to clap <laughs> it. it will take like years for people to believe in yourself but uh, believe in you but i think if you believe in yourself then the world believes in you that's one big learning that i've had
0: So many times as a coach, people tell me that Aditi tells something negative about me. And by negative, they expect things to be critical and harsh. And when the feedback is not that and it is firm and calm, they get a little confused about it. Have you had the situation where you did not... Take the beautiful feedback given by somebody only because they were harsh, or you thought someone who was not necessarily giving you a great advice is a great friend because they are always polite and always nice to you. This whole idea of people being nice to you is overrated because imagine someone can be really nice to you and not do the work they're supposed to, they can be really sweet to you and actually do not deliver on the promises made. Versus there are people who are not that so-called nice or politically correct or, you know, in a way amicable. But they do stand for what they believe in. And they say or do the uncomfortable things or sometimes hold a mirror that you don't want to see. What kind of people would you choose in your team? Those who are truly willing to work with you or those who are just willing to say good things so that you grow and feel good about yourself. Now these choices are important because every coach, every leader has to go through it every now and then. If you want to choose more, if you want to choose better, if you want to really create an impact with your work the way Pratik kept talking about it over and over again, in order to do that you've got to stretch yourself and step into the area of discomfort. If you're not doing it personally, expecting your team to do will not work if you're not really growing at that pace then believing that other people will get that point will not work it doesn't happen like that so truly genuinely sit down with yourself and find ways in which you can grow your team by an example try that and let me know how that works let's get back to our conversation with prateek and see what all he has to share with us as his three hacks of dealing with problems. I'd like to ask you the last question that I is my favorite question to ask every guest. Yesterday when we were speaking, you know, our initial conversation, you said something really powerful. You said you want to work in the intersection of purpose meeting profit, where you believe that that would just change the way people look at the world and business. It's a huge vision and something that one has to Really put their heart and soul and blood into it. After having taken this journey for almost more than fifteen years now, what are the three things that only Pratik can teach us?
1: Uh, so I think I think I'm. So one thing I think which I've believed, I don't you know, I've learned, um, and I think you can already figure out that I say I love solving problems nobody has solved before. Yes. So I mean, otherwise there's no kick, right? And. Yeah. Both, <laughs> I don't get a kick. So one big learning I've had is dream big. Yep. Uh, and dream so big, which should be not achievable. Let me be like, like if it's, the it's, look, it's a dream. So if it's, a, if it's so achievable in three years, like a lot of people, I ask them, what's your dream? And they would tell me, I want to become the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Look, that's not a dream. Mm-hmm. That's something which can be a reality very, very soon. So yeah. I don't think that's a dream. I personally think a dream should be something that should be very chimerical. It yeah. should be very big. Because then it gives you a kick, like a dream should give you a kick uh, and a crazy thing to make you when you wake up in the morning, you should get jitters in your body and you should think, oh my God, I need to do so much to make this a reality. And if you think it can become a reality in a short span of time, like three to five years, it's not a dream. So that's what I've always felt. I'm
0: smiling I- because I wake up every morning as I have this mission that I've taken last year to make India mentally fit. And
1: Wow. Sure- so
0: yeah. <laughs> So we, we have, we started India's only mental gym. The idea is the same, like, you know, like people require simple practical tools instead of making it complicated, you simplify it, use technology, models, gamification, games, and also entertainment to make people fit. So that's what i wake up every morning and it's such a difficult task in on days where you're like i don't know how to solve this but you're like okay i'll figure i'll figure something because the dream is much bigger than you and you're serving the dream every single day
1: yes the i next love one. that i think kudos to you so you, you're already i think we are the same mindset so it's even the concept that you're promoting you can't do it in one to two years yeah. it'll take time so i think it should be big So, I mean, and then that's the first learning I've had, uh, which is to dream very big. The second is, and then if you dream big, then I think to make it a reality, first, you have to believe in yourself. So the second learning I've had is if you, the world will believe in you only if you believe in yourself. Yep. So a lot of people lose faith, um, you know, as they go along the journey. And if you lose faith, then it was never your dream. Let me put it this way. So if you <laughs> wanted, like if you can mm. you know, go away from your dream in six months, I would never say that was your dream. And I can tell you something. I know, I know most of the lot of entrepreneurs who made it big in their lives. They're all my friends. If somebody tells you they made it big in one year or two years, it's, it's, it's a lie. They're lying to you. Uh, I mean, that's not true. Nobody has made it big in their life after years of hard work. And yep. after after actually going through a lot of hurdles. so Probably
0: their ninth business might have been Unicorn in one year, but correct. it took all other eight businesses for them to create the ninth one. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly.
1: Exactly, <laughs> my point. exactly my point. So yeah. don't think, I mean, it's very easy to get, uh, to see somebody's success and see, uh, oh, they did it. Like, right. Mm-hmm. But you don't know anybody, if you go, I mean, look, media interviews can't tell you everything. If you of meet course. them one-to-one, they will actually tell you that they went through so much of hardship, Absolutely. and as I said, their dreams were big, and then they struggled their way through. And I, you don't know how those struggles could be. It could be fighting with your parents. It could be fighting with your spouse. It could be fighting with your relatives. You don't know what it takes. It's it's going. It's definitely going to be hard. Otherwise, it's not coming. So, so I think the second is you have to believe in yourself to make the world believe in you, which is big. Because another reason I'm saying this is the very big one of the biggest learnings I have is that even in your journey, when it's going to be 30 years, 40 years of professional stuff you do, you have to do it every year on year. You can't, yeah. you can't say I did it for five years. Now, everybody believes in me. It's no, that's mm-hmm. not good. Because every time you do something, you set the bar high. Yeah. And like, if you expect Shah Rukh Khan to act, do a movie tomorrow, you already, have, he's already set the bar. So mm-hmm. you, you know, he still has to do the same thing. He still has to work hard to make and, and- the work. Yeah,
0: people to walk into the cinema on the first day or like ever again yeah absolutely and the bar
1: is so high that even if you see one scene which is not right you'll be like oh my god i think he's he's not doing it right like he used to do it 20 years (laughs) back that's the first thing you say so he's so the bar is going to be higher every time you move around the journey so i think this is a learning that i would be implementing all my life and i expect i would recommend every entrepreneur to do this the first one was to dream big Correct. second was to believe in
0: yourself no matter what
1: no matter what and the third is when you're doing this the biggest thing a lot of people ask is how do you do it how do you believe in yourself you say there's going to be so much struggle what is that you know some traits that basically um, make you successful so Mm -hmm. I have never thought that you need a lot of intelligence um, uh, uh, to be successful that's what Mm -hmm. I believed in and I met a lot of intelligent people in my life and I can tell you the smart, like the most successful humans on this planet. If you meet them, you'll realize that they were more hardworking and more perseverant. Uh, and the reason I tell you is yes. because intelligence, if you're very intelligent, but if you don't have hard work and if you are not perseverant, you will fail. I can I can tell you 30%. that you fail. And I have so many friends of mine who are very intelligent in my close circuit who failed just because they they basically tried for one year. And in one year, they figured out this will not happen because of ABC reason. And then they just left it. So now intelligence did not come handy. But I know so many people on the other hand who probably had an, who did not have such a high IQ. But what they did was they had an idea. They stuck at it, right? I mean, I'm a a same example. I don't think Mm -hmm. I'm going to be, I'm the most intelligent person in the room, any room I go. In fact, Mm -hmm. I would like, what I do is whenever I find an intelligent person, I hire him or her so that's the best way to build a business you can so anytime I meet somebody I think wow this person is smarter than I am the first uh, conversation yeah yes so but but the thing is if to make an idea succeed you have to be hardworking and perseverant because you can have the best idea in the world you can be the most intelligent person on this planet you will still fail that's a given and when you fail then the only two traits that save you or yep. bring you out of the pit, and you're gonna fall in the pit hundred times in your journey, yep. are going to be perseverance and hard work. So I think those are the two biggest traits everybody would sh- should have, even if they think about entrepreneurship. Otherwise, just don't get into it because thank you're going to anyways fail. So, thank you for saying
0: this because I think talent is overrated. It's my favorite line I keep saying, you know, in any field, because oh, I want that. the talent wins. No, talent does not. Talent just gives you that first put in the door. But what happens after that is hard work and is perseverance. Thank you so much, Pratik. I think we can continue this conversation learning and talking and discussing different problems that we can solve. But thank you for being part of the show. This has been such a pleasure.
1: Thank you so much. It was amazing being with you. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much for joining me one more time on India's only leadership podcast show based on graphology called Absolutely Right. Having said that, we are planning to change the name of the show to something else. If you think a name or an idea or a concept that you have learned from the podcast that truly stands out, then do write to me. My email ID is right, W-R-I-T, at aditysarana.com. If you are part of that discussion that allows us, helps us to build a better survey, you have my invite to be our guest in our upcoming shows in our listener special segment. So please take out some time and tell me what part of this podcast you would like to be called or turned into its name. I'm more than keen to know how we can grow and build together. I'll see you on next Wednesday with one more fabulous guest on the show. Till then, happy writing.